This time the children ages three to six are dismissed for children's church. Helper should be waiting for you at the back. Well, today we are entering the home stretch of our over year-long now sermon series in the book of Romans. And I warned you at the outset that it was like a rich cheesecake, that there was a lot of bites required, and, and we have been taking a lot of bites. Today we are at part 40, which is perhaps fittingly entitled The Strength to Endure. And hopefully it hasn't required too much strength for you to endure this series but there's been a lot to take in, hasn't there? There's so much that Paul has packed into this epistle. And so this morning we are going to focus in on a particular part of chapter 15 and verse 4 for our focus of this morning's sermon, which I've entitled The Strength to Endure. Would you bow with me and let's pray as we enter God's word. Heavenly Father, we again this morning thank you for your word and we thank you again for this letter to the Romans. Lord, there is so much that you inspired the Apostle Paul to pack into these 16 chapters that the whole of the gospel, the beauty, the complexity of it all, and the outworking of it in our lives is, is so vast that there is so much for us to digest here. But we thank you, Lord, that your word is always fresh and new each time we open it and hear from it. It is living and active more powerful than a double-edged sword. It's for us today, and we receive it as from you. So we pray your blessing on your word once more. Speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn with me in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 15. And as I just said, verse 4 is going to be the focal point of this morning's study. There the Apostle Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Here Paul highlights three things for us that we all need, and those three things are endurance, encouragement, and hope. Endurance, encouragement, and hope. Now elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, we are told there to run with endurance the race marked out for us. Elsewhere in scripture, we have this theme of endurance or often the word perseverance brought to our attention that this is not just a nice addition to the life of faith, it is a requirement that there is endurance, that there is perseverance. And the analogy is often used as in Hebrews 12 of it being like a race, a marathon, one that must be run with endurance. So, in this race of life, when do we need these three things the most? In the race of life, when do we need endurance, encouragement, and hope the absolute most? Do we need endurance the most at the beginning of the race when we're fresh? Or right near the end when we're dead tired? When do we need it? Has anyone here ever, ever ran in track and field? Has anyone here ever run in a longer distance and you set out a little too fast at the beginning? Has anyone ever done that? And you're like, yeah, I'm winning. I'm in the lead. And all of a sudden, your wind starts to go and your legs start to ache and you get a stitch in your side and all of a sudden, everyone else starts passing you. Has anyone ever done that before or is that just me? Right? 
We have to run with endurance. We need that the most right near the end. At the beginning, everyone's fresh. Everyone can run and start out strong. We need endurance the most near the end. Also, do we need encouragement the most when on that racetrack we're running down a gentle slope with that warm breeze at our back? Or do we need encouragement the most on that steep uphill climb when our legs are aching, our our lungs are burning, and there's maybe even a cold wind in our face? Do we need hope the most when the path is soft and smooth? Or do we need hope the most when the path is hard and filled with pitfalls and we just tripped and skinned our knee and now we're running with a limp? These answers to all of these questions are self-evident. For you see, it is at the exact point, the exact point of our maximum fatigue, our maximum discouragement, our maximum moment of despair. Those are the times when these three things matter the absolute most. And that's when we need the strength to endure, the encouragement to keep going, and the hope that as we do so, there is something better yet ahead that is worth striving for. And so that is when these things matter the most. So the obvious question, well, why do these things matter the most then? Because it is in those moments that those things are the difference between pressing on or giving up entirely. And so when we talk about the life of faith, whatever is required to keep us moving forward, these are absolutely vital in our lives. There's an incredibly true, an incredible and true story that illustrates the power of endurance, encouragement, and hope. And it comes from the ill-fated voyage of Ernest Shackleton. Now, by 1914, it was the beginning of World War I, but Ernest Shackleton had another aspiration in mind. He wanted to have his name forever associated with the adventures in Antarctica. However, he was three years too late to be the first man to reach the South Pole, for Roald Amundsen had earned that honor some three years earlier. Nevertheless, Shackleton still fostered an ambition in his heart that he wanted to do something spectacular on the frozen continent of Antarctica. And so that year, he set off with a new goal and ambition. He wanted to be the first man to cross the entire continent on foot, and he was going to traverse it from, from west to east. And he said, from a sentimental point of view, it is the last great polar journey that man can make. And so it is said that in order to recruit his crew, Shackleton ran the following newspaper ad which read, Men wanted, for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Talk about a sales pitch. Well, apparently there was a few men out there who took up that call. And Shackleton fittingly named his ship Endurance, borrowing from his family motto, By endurance we conquer. By endurance we conquer. Now, little did he know how important endurance was going to be in this voyage. For as they set out from the Isle of South Georgia on December the 5th of 1914, aboard the 300-ton ship, which carried sails and a steam engine, were Shackleton's hand-picked crew of 28 men, 69 sled dogs, and a tabby cat named Mrs. Chippy. 
But then some six, pardon me, some 100 miles short of their destination, the ship became hopelessly entrapped in thick pack ice. And try as they would, they couldn't break free, and soon it set in around the ship, and they could not move. And they're 100 miles short of their destination, the starting point for this journey. They would never arrive. And so, not surprisingly, he was bitterly disappointed. His ambition, his, his dream had come up short. And yet, there they were, still stuck in the ice And they failed even before they've begun. But now there was another more pressing matter, and that was a matter of survival. Because from this point on, how these men then managed to survive for another 522 days against all odds, and then safely make their way back to civilization, it transformed this expedition into one of the most famed accounts of survival, endurance, and human resilience in all of history. For they spent the next nine months staying with the ship, hoping that the spring thaw might yet break up the ice and allow them to sail free. But the indescribable pressure of that pack ice pressing against the sides of the ship finally, after nine months, crushed that ship like a pop can, breaking it up into kindling, sending it below the ice. And so knowing this was coming, they had already taken all of their supplies and and their three lifeboats off of the ship and then watched with sinking hearts as their ship disappeared before their eyes. And so then with very little alternative, the 28 men of the expedition isolated on this pack ice hundreds of miles from the nearest civilization, no ship, no means of communication with the outside world, with limited supplies set out dragging their three lifeboats filled with what remained of their supplies. Across that treacherous ice pack, they went looking for a place to launch their boats into open water. And then with the hope of sailing across, pardon me, paddling across the ocean into civilization. But another agonizingly difficult six months in the open Arctic, with exposure and all of the dangers that it entailed, passed by before they were finally able to make it to open water where they launched their now only two remaining lifeboats. Then, after several days of rowing, they made it some 80 miles to a small uninhabited island. But although they were now safe from the perils of the open ocean, they still had no hope of being rescued. The nearest inhabited island that they had set out from, the Isle of South Georgia, was still 870 miles of open ocean away. And as far as the rest of the world was concerned, they had been lost at sea, written off as dead. No one knew that they were even alive, much less where they were. They had no radio, no way of contacting a rescue party. Somehow they had to make it back to civilization on their own. And so finally, Shackleton and a few of the strongest men set off again in one of the small lifeboats paddling for South Georgia Island where there was a small whaling station. Amazingly, they were able to succeed in paddling the 870 miles of open ocean and they safely reached their destination. But even then, their trial was not yet over. For unable, because of the currents, and the dangerous shoals to paddle around the island to, the, to the, where the whaling station was, they had to traverse the island on foot. The only problem was the island itself was mountainous. At the center of the island is a great mountain 
with ice caps on top. And at this point, no one had ever traversed this mountain before. And yet here they were after 522 days of Arctic survival and open ocean paddling that somehow Shackleton and his few men with no climbing gear were able to march and climb and scale their way across these mountainous peaks to the other side. They arrived at the whaling station and from there a rescue party was immediately sent out to retrieve the men left behind on the small island. Incredibly, upon their arrival, they discovered that all of the men were still alive, some missing fingers, some missing toes, but still alive. And incredibly, not a single one of Shackleton's original 28-man crew was lost in the entire ordeal. Now, as we hear all of this, it is utterly impossible for us to imagine what those men endured over those 17 months. But Shackleton's family motto had proven itself true. By endurance, we conquer. By endurance, we conquer. And in their dark moments, it is said that Shackleton continually sought to encourage his men by saying, there is hope. Think of the day when we will be home once more. Keep going. And he kept encouraging his men with this hope, giving them the will to endure. And by endurance, they indeed conquered. And it is the same for each one of us in our life of faith. It is the same. For the victory of faith is very rarely achieved in one momentary flash of glory. Where in one single moment of triumph, on one day we achieve everything that God has set out for us to do on this earth. And then once we've achieved that, we're then whisked away to glory. The life of faith is very seldom experienced that way. Instead, the life of faith is a lifetime of faithful endurance. One where day after day after day, come whatever may, we steadfastly and determinedly continue to walk that narrow pathway towards heaven. And yes, some of those days along that journey come easily. And and they come with great joy and, and pleasant weather and good times. But still other days will come to us that are hard. And whole seasons will come to us where it seems there is no end to the hardships. And we think of like Shackleton and his men, day after day, week after week, month after month, relentlessly being oppressed by the elements and the dangers around them. And yet they continue to steadfastly endure, putting one foot in front of the other day after day. And it is right there, it is right there on those hardest days, in those most trying seasons, where God is in fact testing and forging our faith into something better and something stronger. So long, and this is the key, so long as we do not lose heart and give up. This is the key. Now the Apostle Paul To me, anyways, he seems larger than life. Doesn't he seem larger than life to you? You know, we we you know we put Bible characters on a pedestal, I think wrongly most of the time. The only one who should be on a pedestal is Jesus Christ. All others are men, humans, men and women, just like us, with weakness and flesh and sin that they have to deal with. 
And yet, the Apostle Paul, he almost seems above all of that, and he seems almost invincible in my mind as I read the accounts of all that he did and all that he endured. And yet, the Apostle Paul, by his own admission, was still just a man, even as we read earlier in in Romans. Back in chapter 7, he talked about his own struggle with the flesh and wretched man that I am, speaking of himself, his own confession. He still battled the flesh. He still felt these things just like every one of us. He still had frailties and weaknesses and discouragements just like us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, Paul shared with the, the church in Corinth of one occasion when he had in fact reached his breaking point. Of this experience, this is what he wrote in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9. He says to them, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances of the trial and the pressure that he's talking about here. Some have tried to link it together with with the account in Acts, and, and we won't get into all of that. But whatever the exact circumstances are, remember, when a man of incredible faith and determination like the Apostle Paul says something like, it was far beyond our ability to endure, And that he despaired even of life itself. And and in my heart, I felt the sentence of death. When someone like Paul says that, we can rest assured that whatever the great pressure, whatever the deadly trial was, it was bad. He wasn't wasn't making this up, that, that this was a hard time. In fact, I would go so far as to say that whatever he was talking about was something far worse and harder than probably anything close to what the vast majority of us have ever experienced. It was bad. Now here, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase, or seen the phrase, or maybe even said this phrase? God will never give you more than you can bear. Has anyone ever heard that one? Ever said that one? God will never give you more than you can bear. Now, just that statement alone with no context, I want to ask the question, is that actually true? God will never give you more than you can bear. By itself, is that actually true? Because remember what we just heard from Paul, his testimony. His testimony would say that it's not True, For he clearly said that the great pressure he was under was far beyond his ability to endure. So that would mean that God had actually allowed Paul to be given more than he could bear. He was was beyond his breaking point. He says, I despaired even of life itself. God had allowed Paul to receive more than he could bear. And it begs the question, why? Why would God do that to his faithful servant? The one that he had handpicked. He had, yeah, he had struck him down on the road to Damascus. I'm going to show you what you're going to suffer for my name. He said it right up front, right? But still, Paul was faithful like no other man was faithful. 
He was determined like no other man was determined. He went places that no other man would have been willing to go. And he just did it with such dogged determination. Why would God allow Paul to be broken down to such a degree that he was in abject despair? Why? Well, if we continue to read in the passage in 2 Corinthians 1, and continue into verses 9 and 10, Paul, with with the opportunity and the vantage point of hindsight, He tells us exactly why God had allowed this to happen. Listen to what he said. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And so here, you know, 2020 hindsight, or hindsight is, is, you know, always 2020. Here, Paul could very clearly see that God had allowed him to be given more than he could bear, to, to bring him to the absolute lowest point possible, despairing even of life itself, that as determined as he was, as strong as he was, that even Paul had his limit. He had his breaking point. He had reached the point he could no longer endure And he saw clearly God had allowed him to be ground down to that point to teach him that as strong as he was, he should not rely on himself, on his own ability, on his own wisdom, on his own strength, on his own fortitude. But instead, he had to learn to rely solely on God. And with the footnote, the God who can raise the dead. This is the power that God has available to him, the God who raises the dead. Paul knew he could not, on his own, raise the dead. Only God could do something like that. So why would he rely on himself rather than on God? And God taught him that when he he had reached his breaking point. And so God alone has the power to raise the dead. God alone has the power to deliver. God alone has the power to strengthen with the ability to endure whatever pressure or trial that he allows to come our way. And so that popular phrase that I said at the beginning, it needs a small but vital revision or addition. And that is, God will never give you more than you can bear if you rely solely on him and not yourself. I'll say it again. God will never give you more than you can bear if you rely solely on him and not yourself. Because you see, apart from God and his strength, we will be broken. We will reach a point we can no longer bear it. But God is able. And when we lean and rely solely on him, we have and will be given the strength to endure. And so just as Paul had to be broken down to learn that he was utterly dependent on God, it's just the same for each one of us. For you and I, we must likewise learn by being broken down to no longer rely on ourselves and our own ability to endure, but on God and on his mighty power to deliver. Going through trials and difficult circumstances is to our faith as a furnace is to gold. The purity of our faith cannot be brought about without trials. It is simply not possible. For that is the forge within. The quality of our faith is tested and purified. 
and strengthened. So let me ask you, have you ever had such a time, or perhaps are you currently in such a time, where you feel that you are under a great pressure that is far beyond your ability to endure it? Like Paul, you just feel this pressure, unrelenting, just around you and just saying, I can't take it anymore. Have you ever been at such a time or are you there? Then right now, recognize, like Paul did, that first, God, in his sovereign wisdom, is allowing that to happen. Recognize that first. God is allowing that in his sovereign wisdom to allow you to experience that. And then, like Paul, ask the question, why? Why would God be allowing that? Why? You're his child. He loves you. Why is he allowing you to feel such great pressure that you're saying, God, I just can't take it anymore? Recognize he's allowing it to happen in order to give you the opportunity to learn the same vital lesson, to no longer rely on yourself, but upon God and upon God alone. So now that Paul has made this just abundantly clear that we must learn to rely on God rather than ourselves, let's go a little bit deeper into how God then strengthens us so that we are able to endure. Once we have said, God, I can't do it, it's got to be you, what are, the, what are the means by which he brings that strength to bear in our lives? How did he help Paul through this time where he despaired even of life itself? How did he deliver him? And what were the practical ways he did so? Well, the first thing we see is it happens through a life of prayer. Now, turn with me to Colossians 1, or you can look in our bulletin. It's our call to worship. And there we're going to kind of skip halfway through what is printed there in the call to worship. And there in verse 9, uh, we're going to actually go back to, to verse 9. Paul begins by saying to the church of Colossae, he opens the section by saying, For this reason, since we have heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you. He says, Since we have heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, did that mean that Paul would just never get off his knees? He just would not stop praying? Is that what it meant? No, of course not, because he was a busy man. He did a lot of things. But he says, We have not stopped praying. So what does he mean by that? Well, remember, for Paul, prayer was not so much an event as a way of life. He's also the one who wrote, pray without ceasing. Paul didn't just think of prayer in the terms of only the time where you formally bow your head and, and close your eyes and fold your hands or bend your knees. Of course, he prayed that way as well, but, but that for him, prayer was an ongoing thing. And so his nonstop prayers for Colossae did not mean that he never left his knees, but rather that Paul had developed this ongoing dialogue with God. A constant line of communication that I'm sure what first thing he woke up in the morning, he said, good morning, Lord. And he kept that conversation running all day, even as he went about his daily business. And so then we jump ahead to verse 11 here in this passage. And Paul continues his prayer for the church at Colossae. He says of them, he says he prays for them, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now listen, so that you may have great endurance and patience, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So the answer to being, as Paul said, under great pressure 
is to have a greater endurance, which comes to us from God's glorious might through the lifeline of prayer. Now, it is impossible. It is, it, I, I, I failed at this point as I was writing this sermon to think of a way that I could possibly overstate the importance of prayer. I wanted to just underline it and highlight for you just how vitally important prayer is, but I just, I just couldn't. And, and all, I can, all I can say is that prayer is so important that if we're not for prayer, I would not be here this morning. I would not have a word to share with you. If it were not for prayer, I would not, I would not even be a child of God. Right? Like, like, how can we possibly overstate how important our communication with the Father is? You know, when we think of all the examples of prayer in Scripture, and we think of Jesus' example, he got up so early, and he's tired, and he's a man like us. He had physical, he needed sleep, but he still got up early just so he could pray and spend time with his Father. It was so important to him. And so it's just, I cannot overstate how important prayer is in our life of faith. But even so, there are many Christians who find praying difficult or, or intimidating or just boring because they don't quite know how to start. But this is where it is very helpful to remember that prayer is simply talking to God. So if, if you're capable of talking to a friend, then you are capable of talking to God. I love what A.W. Tozer once said in this regard about prayer. He said, the key to prayer is simply praying. I like that. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. The key to prayer is simply praying. Don't overcomplicate the matter. Don't think you need big fancy words or phrases for God to hear you. Remember, it's what's in your heart that matters most. It's what's in your heart that really matters. That's what God sees anyways. So just start praying and let whatever is in your heart come out. Even if it's maybe a little bit not as quite as sanctified as it should be yet, remember, it's God who sanctifies, not us. So we got to bring it to him. And we see that in the Psalms. There's some unsanctified thoughts coming out in some of those prayers. And, and yet God is the one who can take those and sanctify and settle our hearts and correct them with his truth. And so the key to prayer is simply praying. Let what is in your heart come out to God who sees, who hears. And as we do so, remember, it is not just one-way communication, it is two-way communication, because that is what opens the conduit through prayer, is what opens the conduit to God's glorious might being poured back into our hearts, which fortifies us with his strength, with great endurance and patience. This is not possible without prayer, so we must pray, and not just as an event, as a way of life. We must be in prayer. The second thing is by reading what was written in the past, we receive encouragement. So, first is prayer, second is scripture. No surprise. Here again, I, I cannot possibly overstate the importance of spending consistent time in the reading, in the studying, in the thinking on, and in the discussion of the Holy Scriptures with other believers. For all of God's word is truly the bread of life for our hungry souls. There is no substitute for it. Everything else is a counterfeit. Nothing else can feed our souls but the bread of life. It's the only food for our souls that will nourish and satisfy and bring life. Everything else is a counterfeit and will leave us hungry. This is what fortifies us. 
So we must be in it to be fortified with truth, wisdom, encouragement, and hope. Return now to 15, Romans 15 and verse 4. Let's read it again. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you need hope today? Do you need hope today? Do you need hope today? Get in the word. Get in the word. There is hope. There is life. There is encouragement. There is food for your souls. We have to feed on it. Because if we find ourselves lacking, it's probably because we weren't in the word. We weren't feeding our souls with it, with the living hope that comes from the spirit of God as we feed on his word. And Paul says further, everything, not just some things, he says everything that was written in the past, referring to the Old Testament scriptures, because remember from Paul's vantage point, that is the scripture, the Old Testament. He probably didn't even realize that what he was writing would be considered the Holy Scripture someday. He's just writing a letter, right? He's referring to the Old Testament saying, everything written in the past was given for our instruction and for our encouragement. Now, I can't tell you how many times over the years that when I'm facing some challenge or fear or discouragement, that when I go back and I read, and I reread in the Old Testament about just so many incredible stories of those who have gone before us, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, David, Esther, Daniel, Jeremiah, all the prophets, so many more. And when I read about all of their many incredibly difficult challenges, that they faced and endured. And as I read about, likewise, the scripture gives us a whole account of these, of these people. He, it doesn't scrub them to make them some super saints. It shows their weaknesses and flaws, which is actually oddly encouraging, isn't it? To know that Gideon was a, was a very doubtful, timid leader. I find that encouraging. You know, that we're given warts and all from these men, and yet God shows us that he can use those people like that, people like us who are weak and fearful and, and full of doubts and full of anxieties. But as we learn to rely on God rather than ourselves, that is the same lesson throughout the ages. And as we read how God mercifully met their needs and used them in mighty ways for his eternal purposes in spite of it all, time and time again I just find myself encouraged and strengthened. Danny, persevere. Keep going. Do not lose hope. Because my hope is not in man, it is not in my circumstances, my hope is in God who raises the dead. And he is able to deliver me. And he has done so already through Jesus Christ. My soul is saved, it is secure in him. What do I have left to fear? And as I fortify myself with these truths, God's strength returns. And we can keep going. And then, of course, it is ultimately as we go back and we read and we reread about the life and example of Jesus, our Savior. And that is where the greatest source of strength and inspiration lies. And it's clear in all of the Apostle Paul's writings that he never, ever stopped thinking about Jesus. He never stopped meditating on his life and his example, for he constantly refers to him. He constantly draws upon examples from his life to teach us how we, in turn, ought to seek to live our lives following in Jesus' footsteps. In fact, the first three verses of Romans 15 are another such example from the life of Christ, for there Paul continued to teach that the strong or more mature believer will not live for selfish pleasures, but will instead live for the good of others to build them up in the faith, just 
as Jesus did. And he points to his example. And then returning again to Hebrews 12 and verses 1 and 2, there we read, Let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, listen to this key word, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who, listen to this word, endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friend, if you feel like you're enduring today, remember Jesus endured for you. He's already endured everything. The cross, he's endured taking your sin upon his shoulders. He endured the shame of the spectacle of it all, becoming sin for us. He's endured it all. He endured death. He endured giving up his spirit. He endured going into the grave. All of it. He has already endured it so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So if you feel that like Paul, you've come to the end of your ability to endure Go read, reread the gospel accounts of what Jesus endured for you so that you too, by his strength, could endure and not lose heart. Young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after yet another defeat in his already 10-year-long battle against the slave trade in England. Tired, Frustrated and feeling that he had come to the end of himself, he was ready to call it quits. He'd given it a good shot. He could leave to say, I've done my best and it wasn't good enough. And so there in that moment, he opened his Bible. And he began to leaf through it, looking for familiar passages to draw strength from. And as he did so, a small piece of paper fluttered out and fell to the floor. He picked it up and he saw that it was a personal letter that had been written to him by John Wesley shortly before his death. He had read it many times before, but not for quite some time. He picked it up and he read it again. And inside the letter, these words jumped out to him. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through with your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And thus encouraged... And fortified and strengthened to persevere, Wilberforce redoubled his efforts. And though it took over another decade of struggle against fierce, fierce opposition, even threats upon his life, history records that in 1807, the British Parliament introduced the Abolition of the Slave Trade Act, and William Wilberforce's glorious yet impossible enterprise was successful not because of his own strength, but because of his reliance on the mighty power of God. And so too today, may we each, no matter our personal pressures or trials, learn to rely not on ourselves, but on God. 
May we learn to communicate with him through prayer, not only as an event, but as a way of life, as we talk to him throughout the day. And may we spend time daily in his word, feeding upon it, for it is there that we will find encouragement and hope to endure whatever this life may bring our way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that it is your goodness that allows us to reach our breaking point. It is your mercy that allows us to reach the end of ourselves. For it is only there that we can fully recognize that we must be solely and completely reliant upon you and you alone to have victory. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us, for myself, that we would learn this lesson that the Apostle Paul learned, and that all the saints who have gone before us have had to learn as well. I pray that we would learn it and learn it well, that we would no longer rely on ourselves, but solely on you, the God who raises the dead. And that having learned to rely on you, that we will spend time with you in prayer not just once in a while, but as we go through the day, may we cultivate that lifeline with you to pray without ceasing, to communicate with you, and to hear your voice in return. We pray as well that we would feed on your word, the bread of life that gives nourishment to our souls and encouragement and hope and strength to endure. And we pray, Lord, that as you continue to do this in our personal lives, do that in the life of our church together, for it is your body that we would be built up according to your will and strengthened so that your glorious gospel can go out into the world to bring glory and praise to your Father and more worship to you. And so we pray for this, Lord, and commit ourselves to this. Bring us strength and encouragement and hope to endure today and tomorrow and whatever yet lies ahead. We rely solely on you. In Jesus' name, amen.